so a generative relationality is a relationship or a relationality that um, troubles the transactional nature of today's relationships and chooses solidarity and chooses to stop at the person on the street and invests in that person. Hmm. Generative relationality is um, saying yes and. The word body has a lot of meanings. I mean, for me, I think of corporate bodies, you know, church bodies, bodies of water, politicking bodies, my body, and any and all issues that I have with that, uh, my children's bodies, advertisements and the way that they treat bodies. There is a lot to do with bodies. Now this week, the guest is Dr. Robin Henderson Espinosa. She has written a book called Body Becoming as a path to our liberation. And it is quite literally one of my favorites that I've read for this year. So I would put this one and Lisa Sharon Harper's fortune right next to one another for entirely different reasons. My favorite part of what Robin has done here is that she has honestly shared so much of her story in an entirely vulnerable way that at the same time invites whomever is reading her book into that same type of inflection and inner looking back at what it is to be in relationship with our own bodies. And I know it has challenged me. And with that, I'm beginning to like doing intros less and less. So I'm going to make them shorter and shorter and shorter. And I think everybody is okay with that. Anyhow, this is the Can I Say This at Church podcast. I am Seth. Let's do it with Dr. Robin Henderson Espinosa. The Dr. Robin Henderson Espinosa. How are you doing tonight? Welcome to the podcast. You know, it's a, it's a Tuesday night when we're recording and it's almost my bedtime. And this is the last thing on my to-do list today. And I feel excited to see what we're going to talk about. Me too. Me too. And I realize um, I've already recorded the audio, but for those people that on that that enjoy these Recording videos i forgot to literally hit the button um but it's nice to have a backup audio so um, i yeah. realized that i didn't i'm not going back i'm not doing it again um because i'm too lazy for that and there's who cares um so when you um when you try to tell people whom you are like what is a robin what what do you mm. answer to that question like what do you want people to know you know i mean i think it it depends on who's asking. Um, but I tend to say I'm a trans, queer, Latinx, and I'm a politicized theologian and adult on the autism spectrum. Um, and then if people aren't interested in 
my my professional stuff, I just say I'm a bit of a nerd <laughs> and I'm an idea farmer. I farm ideas. An idea. I don't think anybody's ever told me that. I am an idea farmer. What is the what is the fertilizer for that? Like this is not what the book is about. We're we're going to talk about your book in a minute. So yeah. for, I'm gonna, I don't want to bury the lead. How do you call, like what is the fertile crescent land for idea farming? And then how do you fertilize that? Like what does that look like for you? Well, it, you know, it's relationship. It's our brains collectively thinking together. Um, the terrain is the never receding horizon of possibility. Um, the fertilizer is imagination. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. As you describe that, I'm reminded of, of literally the universe, which is ever expanding mm -hmm. constantly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is freaking mind blowing. Um, yeah. 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 So, Quick question I ask anybody that is ever from the Texas region. Um, it is yep. a tongue-in-cheek question, but it matters to me because, um, you know, there's that Texans just think differently, I think. So if, if what is the only, you know, God-ordained fast food burger? Is it is it In-N-Out Burger, being that I know that you've lived in both California and Texas, or is it Whataburger? And, and this oh, is, it's definitely Whataburger. Absolutely. Yeah. See this, we're going to yeah. get along great. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, th they have a Whataburger in Tennessee now. Really? Yeah. What? About 15 or 20 minutes from my house. And so yeah. it's almost like I'm in Texas. I mean, our politics here in Tennessee are very similar to Texas. <laughs> I chose the repression, the repressive politics of Tennessee over the repressive politics of Texas. And um, I thought I was doing a good job, but... Now, after all the anti-trans bills, I'm now questioning my own logic. Well, that's not just Texas, though. I feel like that's that's many places. Um, yes. Yeah. I. Yeah. That's that's an entire. Yeah. That's that's a whole thing. So you wrote a book called "Body Becoming: A Path to Our Liberation," and even those words are a big thing. If you were to try to summarize just what becoming is, because you even say it in the book a bit. You say it's like it's become a buzzword. Um, mm -hmm. And the thing that I hear people say often is, you know, we're, we're human becomings, um, mm -hmm. which I think they mean more in like a metaphysical centering way. What are you trying to get at specifically with body becoming? Well, I, I you know, I'm trained uh, as a theologian and ethicist and I've read a lot of continental philosophy and I'm particularly attracted to French post-war philosophy um, Michel Foucault and Gilles Deleuze in particular. And uh, Deleuze and his comrade Guattari wrote a bunch of stuff together. Guattari was a French um, psychiatrist and psychoanalyst, and Deleuze was a philosopher. And they conceived of becoming in collaboration and and if and if you want to boil it down to one word that is intelligible because most of their work is unintelligible and written in a way that is like you're trying to read mud um but becoming is change mm. and change on both a macroscopic um 
way and a microscopic way. So both cellular and global or planetary. Mm. And what I'm trying to do in the book is talk about um, how democracy is becoming and how bodies are becoming. And when we cultivate the necessary relationship with ourself and each other, we can participate in a democracy that is the aspiration of life expressed solely in community. And that is what gets us to liberation. So what do you mean? So I, there's, there's things. So you, you go a little bit further in the book. That's actually the first thing that I highlighted. You use the word generative re- relationality. Yeah. Gen, re, re, I can't say that word this late at night. Generative relationality. There we go. I yeah. did it. Um, yeah. What is that? Like, what does that mean? Those two words for some reason in my head, um, and Robin, just real quick, like our Dr. Robin, I forget exactly what you told me to say. I apologize. Um, I had to constantly stop. I, I love the way that you use words in a different way as you mm. write than what I normally like words like fierce that I don't read. Um, you started like the intro with riso, rib, 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 ribosome, ribe. I can't Rhizome? even say the word. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I had to ask my wife, who's a nurse, like, what the heck is somatic mean? I know that's a word that I've heard you say, my dear. What yeah. is that? And she's like, yeah. it just means body. I'm like, okay. Like, I just, I liked the new words, first off. But yeah. what does generative relationality, like, how does that reshape our bodies and our becoming? And then democracy, democracy feels like you're using it in a different way than what people would hear in the yeah. television. So can you rip that apart of it? Yeah, so let's think, uh, let's just think about the traditions that we come from. So, you know, Christianity comes from Judaism in many respects. And Jewish law talks about how um, Jewish law is, is chiefly concerned with the dignity of all people. And so uh, Jewish law says that you should not pass over someone in need that that you should have some sort of connection so think about people who ask for money on the street or ask for food on the street Um, a generative relationality would be to stop uh, ask them what their name is and not just pass them by Mm -hmm. you know it's a question of charity versus solidarity So a generative relationality is a relationship or a relationality that um, troubles the transactional nature of today's relationships and chooses solidarity and chooses to stop at the person on the street and invests in that person. Generative relationality is um, saying yes and. And I think we see this in in many different ways in the world's religions. Um, but we don't practice it very much in society. Do you think that's because of the way that we're... So how can I say this in a way that doesn't sound political. I don't know that I can. Do you feel like that is just inherently humans or is that a product of capitalism or is it a product of exceptionalism? Um, or is it a product of just only caring about myself, like narcissism, 
that I've just cognitively dissonanced away. You mean the the transactional nature? Yeah, of where like I walk past well, people on the thing and like, yeah, if you're not in my family, and even if maybe even if you're in my family, I mean, it's fine. All I care about is what I need for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a combination of whiteness, mm. um, the a culture of whiteness disassociates ourselves from ourselves and each other, so we have no lineage and. As a mixed race person, I am, you know, conditionally white until I start talking about my family. Um, but I have to remember that I am conscripted into whiteness and I am conscripted into being disassociated at, at, a, at a cellular level. So I do think it's about whiteness. I do think it's about uh, neoliberalism and the ways in which we have created a culture of hyper individualism. I do think it's about capitalism and the extractive nature and the exploitive nature mm-hmm. of capitalism. All of these things don't encourage generative relationality. Um, just look at how often, I mean, I know that we've been living in a pandemic for the past two plus years, but look at how often we get together with people how often do we share a meal with one another? I mean, I just think we need to go back to some very basic things and rituals like sharing a meal together mm. and, and, and recovering the generativity of, of just practicing ritual together. But, you know, um, many folks have moved to the suburbs and, choose fast food over communal food which is fine if it's waterburger but only water which is right which is fine if it's waterburger <laughs> but you should also be sharing uh, a waterburger with a friend and aren't their fries so good uh, especially with that gravy i don't know what i dip it in the gravy maybe i'm yeah i might be heretical it doesn't matter <laughs> no that's kind of like texas poutine <laughs> I, I wait it's good um, yeah, it's, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just good. So you'll, Not, have, you'll have to come to Tennessee and we'll go to Whataburger together. That's done. I can do that. Yeah. Nashville yeah. is, what's that? It's only about eight hours. Yeah. Eight, eight and a half hours. Yeah. And the, you gain an hour when you come here. So, oh, I thought Nashville was still, so is it eight? So you're an hour behind me? Yeah. That's eight 30 here. I Nashville thought, is central time. Knoxville is Eastern time. I Chattanooga for some reason is Eastern it was, time. I thought for some reason it was Memphis. I thought it was literally the Mississippi that did it, but it's been a while since I made that drive. It's been yeah. a while since I made that drive. Do you, so you use the word conscripted there and I literally mm-hmm. only scripted, not a play on words there. One question for you today. Okay. Um, and you use the word conscripted and there's like 90 pages that separate it. So back in the beginning of the book, and I did not write down the page number, you talk about you have often been, or maybe you've felt like, or I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you said conscripted into progressive theology. And then you go on to say something else, which I'd like to kind of know what that means. But then later on, and I do have the page number for this one, because that's when I realized, wait, I've heard that before. You say that you uh, have been conscripted, that later you were conscripted into ideologies and supremacy cultures. Yeah. And so when you say conscripted, what do you mean by that? Um, and then how is like how are those two interplaying with one another? 
Well, con- conscripted, when I'm using it there, I'm talking about we are, or I am, or I have been woven into the fabric of progressive theology or progressive Christianity when really it doesn't reflect my theological commitments, Hmm. Uh, you know, because I'm trans and queer, then that I must be a progressive theologian. Um, But I'm actually not. I, I am a liberationist and progressivism still relies on um, a sort of liberal 19th century liberal agenda. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say fundamentalism just in a different way. They're, they're the same coin. Yeah, um, yeah. 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 And I, and I just progressivism doesn't go far enough for me. Hmm. Yeah. And then for the other part, so how are not just you, I guess uh, by proxy humans, are conscripted into ideology, ideologies and supremacy cultures. So is that a product of our upbringing? Is it a product of the way that we're told to identify, like to function in society? Like how does those kind of play together? Well, in, in the same way, right? Socialization, the choices that we make, what we've inherited, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, so much of human life is wrapped up in mimesis, which is a Greek word that means imitation. We imitate models. My next book is on belonging and freedom using mimetic theory. And so I'm thinking a lot about models. And we're conscripted based on the models that we follow, based on the models that we imitate. Mm. And I don't think that we are imitating Jesus because we have created um, a dumpster fire in many respects. <laughs> uh, and mimetic theory there would be based predominantly on Girard or yeah, uh, yeah. yeah Rene Girard. Yeah, so you like the French, you like the the, the other names because um, I feel like one of the other philosophers that you said at the beginning or thinkers that you said at the beginning, it felt like a French name. Maybe it was. Yeah, Gilles Deleuze and yeah. Michel Foucault. Yeah, yeah. Do you read French? So I used to be able to read French, but uh-huh. I do no I no longer read French. <laughs> I only read Pinot Noir um and and r- random things on a on a wine bottle, but I right, don't I don't even, right. I don't actually know what that means. I don't yeah. I just can read the word. Yeah. Um yeah. Well, Noir means night. Does it? Yeah. And Pinot then is Good night. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. I don't know what it means. I I will Google it now cuz it's going to bother me. I won't be able to sleep until I know what it means. Um so what is a body? And you ask that question multiple times throughout the book. Um, because I feel like if you ask that question to say 50 people on the street, um, you're going to get some very concrete answers, some very yeah. look at this answers, and you might get some other more esoteric answers. And so what is a body in the way that you're approaching it in your text? So a body is, we are a body. Um, but we are comprised of bodies. Um, together, you and I are an interpersonal body. And then together, we are connected to a larger body, which is our cultural body or our collective body or our democratic body. And and we're all impacted by, you know, it's it's kind of like the butterfly effect when I pull the string here, 
on this end, it shows up on the other side of the world. Mm. And, you know, we also, we also belong to a planetary body. So it's not just, you know, we're, we're kind of like Russian doll sets, you know, nested dolls and, and all of us together make up a huge body. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we are bodies comprised of bodies and we are in relationship with lots of different bodies comprised of other bodies. <laughs> a Russian doll set of bodies. Um, the <laughs> mental picture of humans being housing humans, housing humans, housing humans. Yeah. That's, I don't know that. Yeah. That's, that's not a nice picture. Um, it's quite grotesque the way that, not that that's how you meant it. I just can't stop envisioning that way. Um, so with that thought process being in there, um, and I think that you're right, we are not modeling um, Jesus. What does that mean for the disjointedness of humanities that make up, um, be it church bodies, uh, be it our religious bodies, if, if it doesn't happen to be church, it could be any religion, any, um, because the Bible seems to be pretty clear, you know, that we are all collectively in this together. Yeah. So how do we begin to repair oneself so that our bodies can actually work in relation so that my arm can work in relation with your legs? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. I mean, um, I, I feel like the repair work, um, and the reparative work is really vital right now. Um, I mean, there's, I feel like there's a lot of need for reparative and repair work from land sovereignty and land justice to climate change. Mm. Um, but we can start repairing our bodies. I mean, I, I started by just walking into my therapist's office and asking her, how do I have a relationship with my body? You know, I just, I, I was so disconnected and so disassociated that I was living life from my shoulders up. And I didn't know how to feel or how even to be in my body. And I had heard for, for a long time, um, don't lose yourself in the academy. And I, you know, I sort of was like, well, I'm not going to lose myself. I don't even know what that means. But what I realized was, you know, I had become a machine where I read and I wrote and I published and all of a sudden my materiality kind of evaporated, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so I had to do a lot of repair work of just repairing the relationship to self. And I think when we start repairing the relationship to self, when we start doing the inner work, we can begin to live that out in public ways. Do so you remember like last year, I had all those weird ad breaks, like it would just randomly be something. We're not doing that. Instead, I thought I'd do this. I need your help if you're able to. Head on over to the website for the show. There are two things that you can do. One is you head over to the website, you click the Patreon button or support button, I forget what I call it, and you jump in there. Those people help make the show a thing so that you can listen to it right now. Two, the easier one, you could just leave a rating and a review on the podcast app of choice that you currently use. Either one of those is fine. 
but I would love it if you would do either one, specifically the rating and reviewing. It's an exponential thing that the algorithms pick it up, and that's just math. It's just compounding on top of itself. Anyway, all that to say, that was it. That was the ad break, and now we're going to get back into it. I'll go back to the metaphor you you began at the beginning. So you you can get lost then in in things that you are naturally good at. So in your case, farming ideas um, right. and and lose sense of mm-hmm. of yourself. What is the relationship of body to mind and I guess soul, if you want to call it that as well? Yeah, you know, I, I write about this in the book where I walked into um, Dr. Edward Antonio's office and said I wanted to write on um, the materiality of the body. And and he said, you mean the mind? And it wasn't until I started uh, writing the book, was he saying the body had a mind or the mind was a body? And I come to learn that every cell that is structured in our body has like a brain. So every part, like, yes, we do have a brain that is ensconced in our skull, but there are multiple minds in our body. Mm. DNA, cellular structures, those embody some sort of brain activity. And, and, And yet we have perpetuated the disconnection between body and mind or body and soul. I don't know where the soul resides. Um, I don't know that anybody a, could say that they do. Though I am happy with that, I am happy with that movie Soul and what they did with it. I love what they've done with those little. You know, I'm not seeing that. That's on Disney Plus, right? Oh, if you, I can't believe! Oh, it's amazing. So I don't want to ruin it for you, but don't, it's the, no, don't tell yeah, me. I mean, I want to well, see it. Watch it. It's it's. Um, I also want to see Turning Red. Um, I watched that with the family literally over the weekend, and I really wanted to like it. And for some reason, I can't. And I don't think it's the story. The story is actually quite good. There's something off about the animation for me. Have you mm. watched the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Have you watched that? No, no, not yet. Uh, so that one is animated in a specific way where the frames per second are janky at the beginning. And as he gets more understanding of who he is, things begin to line up. Um, uh. it, like it's, it's animated in a very intentional way. Something in this red movie was like there was something like as I watched it, I kept being bothered by just the animation and it kept disjointing me from the story. I think I'm actually going to watch it again with the subtitles on so that I'm reading it instead of looking at it. Yeah, because I I think I liked it, but I also did not like it because I I walked away just frustrated with the show had nothing to do with the show. Um, (laughs) But no, they they tackle the concept of soul in that movie in a way that I've never seen um, that, that made me have great, great thoughts and ponderations. There is a big section here where you talk about which bodies matter. Um, mm-hmm. And then later on, maybe a hundred pages, you start rattling out at the beginning of writing this book. You know, we've got COVID, we've got George Floyd, we've got 250 cases of people just getting murdered because they're the wrong skin color. We've got this, that, and the other. Where do we go with that? Because a lot of people talk and a lot of people talk and a lot of people continue to get murdered and be devalued. So what do we do with that? Well, you know, racism originated as white on white violence. And and we're seeing that 
as a power struggle between Russia and Ukraine. Mm. And, and it's been exported or imported into the United States as white violence against indigenous people, white violence against people of color, white structural violence, uh, you know, in the form of police brutality against black and brown uh, folks. So I, I think that in large part, um, white folks and white passing folks need um, to do some work around what they've inherited, what we've inherited, and how we how, how we are in relationship with power, hmm. and how do we compost violence and and strategies that result in violence. So we've got work to do. Yeah. Do you mean compost in that way in let it uh, help it to continue to break down and turn it into fertile soil that we can actually do something with? Is that what you mean by compost? Want to make sure I'm not misunderstanding. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Um, Towards dead center of the book. Yeah, maybe literally dead center. You have an Octavia Butler quote, and I'm embarrassed to say I've never read anything by Octavia Butler, but I liked the spin that you and your partner have on it, and I'd like you to mm-hmm. rip it apart a bit. So I'm going to read the original quote, and then yep. I'll read what you have as well. So you say, or she says, everything you touch, you change. Everything you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change, which you then, or your partner then, riffs on and says, all that you touch, you move. All that you move moves you. The only lasting truth is movement. God is movement. Mm-hmm. What for those that have not read the book, which will be most of the people listening, what does yeah. that mean? Like God is like movement. Like what? What does that mean? I I think it could mean that God is becoming, and that and that we are participating in that becoming. You know, I think we have to remember that. God became human so that humans could become divine. Mm. I mean, that's the tradition. It's mm. called theosis. And we've forgotten that. And or some of the traditions that have perfection as a goal, we may never achieve it, but we should always strive to be perfected in Christ. Uh, that's about becoming. And I don't mean perfectionism because that's wrapped up in white supremacy. Mm-hmm. But I mean a kind of... Um, a kind of becoming in a perfected state where we uh, where we are aligned with the logic of liberation and movement, um, movement and becoming, movement and change. Those are all kind of wrapped up together for me in a in a web that sort of exposes how deeply interconnected all things are. Mm. Yeah. What are bodies becoming liberated from? Well, you know, just when I think about um, our current situation, I think about the structural inequities that impact marginalized bodies. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the logic of liberation 
creates conditions for a kind of radical freedom and, and in the abolition of these systems. And we have to remember that, that abolition is about life affirming systems. And so it's not just, it's not just shutting down prisons. It's creating systems where there is, where there's flourishing Mm. opportunity for flourishing. Mm. And so bodies have a chance Uh, marginalized bodies have a fighting chance to flourish. And I think if we're not concerned with the positivity of liberation, like if we're only concerned with how to eradicate oppression, this is why I talk about composting supremacy culture instead of dismantling supremacy culture, because the work of abolition is creating conditions for flourishing, not just, not just shutting down prisons or, or shutting down surveillance structures, right? It's creating opportunity. And I think that's what marginalized bodies need. They need opportunity to survive and they need opportunities to flourish. And, and without the right kinds of systems in place, things like structural inequity and structural iniquity will continue to marginalize and accelerate oppression. Mm. Is the role of building the compost bin or supervising putting things into that, is that a role of governmental systems or is that the role for the church? Is it a mix of both? And depending on that answer, actually it doesn't really matter the answer, how do we hold those that are supervising what goes into the compost bin? Because I have one outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I live right outside the Blue Ridge Parkway. And if you put the wrong thing in there, bears will be in my backyard. Mm-hmm. And the, so composting is wonderful. Um, it can also be destructive mm-hmm. um, if, if, if done incorrectly. Um, it can also be harmful. Um, I can have entirely too much nitrogen in there and literally burn everything that I'm trying to grow because I put too much stuff in here. So whose role is it to supervise that and shepherd that? Well, this is, this is where relationships really make, make a difference. Um, I don't know that we need a supervisor, but we need community to, to help steward the compost bin. Mm. Um, we, I mean, bad theology kills and everything is theological and all theology is ethics. So, you know, the legislature is making theological decisions in their policy making. So it is the government's responsibility to steward um, parts of the compost bin. And it's also the church's responsibility and it's also the community's responsibility. I mean, if we're going to survive this world, which, you know, is really sort of spinning off the rails. Hmm. It's going to require us all together to learn how to dance together. And and we just, we just aren't dancing well together. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. 
Um, I don't remember you tackling this role specifically in your book, um, but I'm curious your input. Um, I don't believe that you have children from what I've read, but I do. How do I be mindful in the way that I approach um, my children's identity? Um, I don't mean sexual. I don't mean gender. I don't mean religious. I just mean their core uh, what my pastor would call their soul child, like what their essence. Mm-hmm. How do I, or how how would you say, is a good way to approach parenting in a way that fosters an ability for the youth that are under our under our purvey to be in a healthier place as they enter into adulthood and and not yeah. have to struggle so much with becoming and maybe i'm not asking that question right i hopeful i hope that what i'm asked trying to ask is coming across if not i'll try to restate it well i mean i think i think those of us with children need to trust our children Mm. and i think we've relied on a parenting framework that puts parents as the expert and children as the learner or the inexpert and, and really, nobody's an expert because what kids are growing up today with, I did not have to face when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't make me an expert on our current system. And so, you know, figuring out how to trust our kids and then stewarding connection and having hard conversations and you know, socializing our kids um, in ways that help them make better decisions. The world is no longer black and white. It never, it honestly never was. It never was, right. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it was just highly edited. Um, Yes. Yeah, yeah, highly edited. Um, No, yeah, the reason being is I am so fearful, um, not as a parent, but as a human that somehow we're making, like I'm, I'm, I'm so terrified that I'm making it worse. Um, and not mm. just me, like my, my generation, because uh, I, I feel like people my age, and I think we're in similar age, like I'm just so mad that it seems like every seven years things seem to fall apart. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to not have that bleed in yeah. uh, to relationships, but he and my daughters, they don't have the underlying trauma of growing up with all of that right so i'm just throwing it on them um, and so yeah. I'm, I'm always terrified so i thought i thought it was a good question to ask um mm-hmm. just because I, I just genuinely don't want to screw up um i think yeah. no i don't think any parents want to screw up um yeah just <laughs> but at least you care right i mean there are a lot of parents who don't give a fuck mm. but but you actually care how your kids enter the world yeah yeah, well, part of that's because they're going to pick, you know, they're going to pick what nursing home they put me in later, and I want them to be nice right. to me. <laughs> no, no, right. I, 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 not, not really, um, but but a little bit, but not really. <laughs> um, so a couple existential questions um, before I let you go, because I like to end with with a few. Um, and, and this is a new question that honestly has popped up over the last few days, and so you'll be the first person that I ask this to. Um what is the best way, uh, I'm going to rip apart a parable of, of Jesus, what's the best way to identify that one um, instead of rocking and rolling with the 99? And what's the best way to identify that person and then intentionally go and find them, seek them out, bring them back to the body? Um, 
I mean, I, I think being faithful in the small things. And few of us know how to do that because we're very attracted to the applause of life. Mm. Mm. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. When you try to wrap words around whatever God is or the divine or whatever that is, what is that for you? You know, when you pour ginger ale or champagne into a glass and and you get these bubbles and then the bubbles disappear, that's a little bit like God for me. That it's there, it's effervescent. You can you can almost grasp it and then it's gone. It's it's an elusive it's an elusive becoming. Mm. 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 And it tickles on the way down. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it tickles on the way down. Um, yeah. Robin, thank you so much for yeah, your time tonight. You. Where, uh, when, uh, the book is out, what, March 25th? March 29th. March 29th. But, but some people are getting it early because wherever you buy books, people they're, they're getting it early. So I just found out today someone received their book. So <laughs> Go Amazon them. and Amazon and bookshop and other places are releasing it early. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. Yeah. So I have figured out, I don't know how to do this. Yours will be the first one that I've done this with. Um, I, I was reached out to by a, a bookseller that basically partners with local bookstores. And so people that are on the show, they can click the show notes and it will literally order a book from a local bookstore. Oh, the, very just, cool. I don't remember exactly the name of it because they sent me, and we're still working on how to make it work. Yeah. Um, but hey, for people listening, by the time this is out, I will have figured out how to make that work. Um, I'm not the best at the internet. I work at a bank. I'm pretty good at that. Not I'm good <laughs> with math and numbers. I'm okay with Jesus, but I'm not the best at the internet actually kind of abhor the internet. Um, yeah. But where do you want people to go to kind of engage in the work that you do, point people where they should be? I don't know how to say that sentence. Yeah. Um, well, when I left my faculty post in Berkeley and moved to Nashville, I launched my academic scholarship as a collaborative project dedicated to social healing. A little bit like let's follow Jesus together and try to build another possible world. And that's called the activist theology project. We are a 501 C three nonprofit organization and we're building a digital community and you can go to www.atporch.com. So activist theology porch.com. Cause I think some of the best conversations happen on front porches mm-hmm. and um, you could connect with me there. Hopefully we'll have some book discussions there You can also find the link to the online book event that we're having on April 2nd. But I would say, you know, sure, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at irobin. That's the letter I-R-O-B-Y-N. But if you want to be engaged with other people who are curious about how to build another possible world, check out our app, atporch.com. I did not know that that existed. I'll, I'll, I'll check it out tonight. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, I'm all about... Uh, communities. One of my favorite places to be um, is a private Facebook group um, that that cards on the table. 
I did make. Um, I rarely post, but I read almost everything. But it's a yeah. place that you're not allowed to solicit, advertise. It's just a place to ask honest questions and say whatever the hell you need to say. Yeah. Because you need to say it. Um, yeah. It's one of my favorite places to be. So. Cool. Um, cool. Yeah. Thank you again for your time this evening. Very much. Thank I enjoyed you. talking with you. Thank you. And let's do Whataburger. Come to Nashville. I will. I'll figure it out. Now, I haven't added it up, but there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of podcasts on the internet, and I am humbled that you continue to download this one. If this is your first time here, please know that there are transcripts of these shows. Not always in real time, but I do my best. And if you go back in the logs, you can find transcripts for pretty much any episode that you'd like. The show is recorded and edited by me, but it is produced by the patron supporters of the show. That is one of the best, if not the best way that you can support the show. If you get anything at all out of these episodes, if you think on them or if you, you know, you're out and about and you tell your friends about it or, hey, mom, dad, brother, sister, friend, boss, pastor, here's what I heard. What are your thoughts on that? If this is helping you in any way, and it is helping me, consider supporting the show in that manner. It is extremely inexpensive, but collectively, it is so very much helpful. Now for you... I pray that you are blessed and you know that you're cherished and beloved. We'll talk soon. <laughs>